Hey, uh, so glad you took some time to join us today. Welcome to church. My name's Billy. Like I said earlier, I'm the pastor. My wife, uh, who was singing up here on keys just a minute ago, we have the privilege to lead in this awesome community. And uh, we believe three things about church. We believe church should be enjoyable. Someone say amen. Don't be too quiet there. Like, we believe you should come to church and enjoy it. We believe you should have fun. We believe you should enjoy talking about spiritual things. Um, we believe it should be enjoyable. Uh, we believe it should be encouraging. Every time you come to church, we want to encourage you. We believe the Bible's good news. Someone say good. So when we open it, yes, there's things we can improve on, but God first lifts us up and encourages us. And then lastly, we believe church should be an encounter. Every time you come, you're here for him. Well, I don't like going to church because of A, B, and C. Well, that has nothing to do with church. Church is about encountering God, making sure that he's in the room. And so we're glad that you took some time to join us. Tommy, would you keep playing for a second until I pray? Yeah, come on, give it up for Tommy, y'all, on, on guitar. He left me early last week, and I was like, hang out until I read the scripture and stuff, because it makes me sound more holy and spiritual. <laughs> it's a joke, y'all, bad joke. Okay, hey, if you have your Bible, open up with me to Romans chapter 8 today, Romans chapter 8, and uh, we are going to probably one of the most important, deepest, uh, foundational books in the Bible. Okay, Romans is probably known as the New Testament's, like, dissertation. It's very important. It lays out salvation. It lays out all these great things. A lot of people fumble it. A lot of people don't know how to preach it. So aren't you glad you're not preaching today? But I'm excited because there's a specific verse that I was reading this week and I was thinking about you and I was thinking about maybe what's been going on in your life and I was drawn to Romans chapter 8. And uh, we're going to pick it up starting in verse 26. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn there now. I want to welcome everybody watching online. Can we make some noise for our online community joining us today? We love you. We appreciate you jumping on, whether you're watching from your house or with some people. We actually have some friends down in Florida. We have some friends down in Texas that they said, hey, just so you know, like, we're having people come to our house on Sunday mornings to watch gospel. And they just, they say, you know, we've been looking for a church and we know we need to be connected, but like, my neighbors love what's happening there, so I'm just going to have them here and watch. And so we ought to celebrate that God's doing something in Western New York and it's continuing on into other places as well. So that's a good thing. Romans chapter 8, when you're ready, say, I'm ready. All right. This is like some filet mignon, y'all. Okay, let's, let's go into wh where he's at. This is just the last part of chapter 8, and he's talking about how we don't know what to do sometimes, and how life comes at us, and we can think we got it all together, and he says this, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. That's good news already. I'm weak. God still wants to be involved. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray. The Spirit intercedes for us and, and prays with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here it is, verse 28. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good. Someone say good. Those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. I'm going to break that down in a second. Lastly, verse 30, and those, who, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. A lot of words going on there. Let me just tell you what Paul is saying. He's basically saying those who were predestined, God knows everything before it happens, okay, uh, that doesn't mean we don't have free will, but he is aware of the decisions we'll make before we even make them. 
And sometimes people are like, well, what's the point? And I'm like, uh, there, there is, what do you mean, what's the point? The fact that he knows everything is what makes him God. So Paul says God is aware of things that are going to happen. And so those who he was aware of, he called. He said, I knew you were going to be looking for a church in, in the beginning of 2022. And you've been going up and down. You've been trying to find a community. You've been looking for a place to worship. And God called you to church. And now that you're in the building, he said those he called, he actually justified. So those who he called to church, not everyone in the building is going to meet Jesus. So there's a set group now that are justified. And then he says, and those who are justified will be glorified. One day you'll be with Jesus in heaven. Oh, a lot of deep stuff. Just to get to verse 28. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good. I want to title this message today, Good News for Bad Times. Good news for bad times. What do you do when you're in a bad situation? Someone say, preach, Billy. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Thank you for your spirit that's in this room. Oh God, without you, this is just some cool words and motivation. But we don't need another motivational speech. We need the presence and the power of God in the room. And so thank you for opening our eyes. Thank you for helping us see something that maybe we've not seen before. Bless our ears as we hear the word in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Turn to somebody real quick and say, it's not so bad when you got Jesus. <laughs> this has been probably the age-old question when it comes to God. If God is good, why do bad things happen? Have you ever been in a tough situation before? where maybe emotionally you were off, or physically there was sickness in your body, or you knew someone that was sick in their body, or maybe financially you had everything planned and then gone, just like that. Maybe it was a, a substance abuse, and you just hit rock bottom eventually and said, now what do I do? Maybe you got dumped, maybe you got cheated on, maybe you've been divorced, maybe whatever your situation is, we've all been through a bad time before. And typically when we're in bad times, what we like to do is assume that nobody else knows how bad our time actually is. Am I the only one? You ever, you ever have someone come up to you and they say, hey, I heard you're going through this. I just want to let you know God is with you. And you're like, mm, yeah, but you've never been through something like this. And you're like, you know what? I never have, but I just want to let you know that. No, no, no. If you only knew the pain. Anytime I try to make a, a mom reference, I always have a couple moms that say, no, no, you're not qualified to talk about childbearing pastor. I made, a, I made a birth reference, you know, a couple weeks ago about our church being like a baby, and now it's four weeks old, and then just a sweet little older lady came up to me. She goes, Pastor, I understand what you were going to say, but I just want to make sure you know, you don't know that pain. <laughs> but like, let's be honest, it's just a reality of life. When you're in a bad situation, you kind of feel like no one else knows what you're going through. When, when I got diagnosed with cancer at 21, I used to play that all the time. My friends would come over and try to encourage me, and I'd be like, yeah, but you have no idea. I could die. And here I, I could die. The doctor told me I might die. You're going to live. What are you doing? No, no. And all this negative kind of outlook because I was in a negative situation, and we kind of assume no one else is with us in bad times. Yeah, can I go further than that? We even assume that God's not with us in bad times. Like if you're a believer and you've believed in Jesus for a while and you go through a difficult situation, it's easy to just kind of look up and say, God, where are you? Like you say you're so good, why do I want to kill this person still? You say you're so good, why haven't this job that I've been applying for been provided for? You say you're so good, why am I still feeling like I'm in the midst of this? And I just want to submit to you today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that, that God is not removed from our difficult times. 
that God may be silent during difficult times. God might not be speaking like he used to, but the Bible is clear. His presence is with all those that believe in him. Amen. That's good news. That means even if I'm in a bad situation, God's with me. That, that, that means that even if I feel like no one understands what I'm going through, the Bible says we have a God that can relate to us. Hebrews says Jesus was tested just like we were tested. Jesus was tempted just like we get tempted. Jesus hung on a cross, took the sins of the world on him. He knows exactly what it's like to have a bad day, y'all. But for some reason, we get quick to assume we are the only person that is going through a bad situation. Like this man that I got to talk to about God. He says, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? And, and I don't like to put God on, on the hook like that. Because sometimes we say, well, if God is real, then why are bad things happening? I often go, well, where in the Bible did God ever say bad things aren't going to happen? Because if we hold God to a standard that he never makes clear in his word, we will have some unfulfilled expectations. If you expect God to do something according to your preference, but he's never made it clear in his word, you will have some unfulfilled expectations. If, if, if we pray to God like he's a slot machine and we say, gimme, 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 no whammy, no whammy, no whammy, bam, there's my healing, we're going to get upset when it doesn't happen. So I'd like to go somewhere today and talk a little bit about bad times, but how to find good news in the bad times. Jesus said this in John chapter 16 and verse 33, you got to remember Jesus was on the scene for three and a half years as Messiah. He had met his disciples early on in his ministry. He said, hey guys, you 12, all you guys, you're going to follow me. And they had been waiting for a man like this. They'd been waiting for the quote-unquote Messiah. And for three and a half years, he raised them, spent time with them. And then every now and then he would say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be here much longer, guys. And the disciples go, what do what, what you mean you're leaving us, Jesus? We love you. Are you kidding me? Where are you going to go? He goes, I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you. And they'd be like, what is he talking about? Where is he going to go? And then one day he would say, hey, these Romans, they're, they're going to kill me. They're, they're going to take out. They're going to take me out. They're going to arrest me and crucify the Son of Man. The disciples, not my Jesus. No way. Bad things can't happen to Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That your peace wouldn't come from the situation. Your peace would come from me. He says, I've said this so you would have peace in me. Because get this, y'all. In the world you will have tribulation. One translation says you will have many troubles. You will have many troubles in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there it is right there in the text, y'all. Jesus tells us to expect difficult things to happen. Jesus actually tells us that people in authority are going to abuse their authority one day. He tells us that leaders, tyrannical leaders, are going to raise up in the last days. He tells us that even Christians are going to be lovers of money, lovers of themselves. And he kind of lets us know, like, hey, y'all, it's going to get pretty intense. But his hope, take heart because I've already overcome the world. Oh, that's good news. That's good news when I'm in a bad situation because I can take heart that Jesus has already been through what I'm currently going through. Someone ought to say, thank you, Jesus, because he's telling us in this text that you're going to go through things. But the key is not to stay in them. The key is to go through them. You ever have that one friend that they're always going through it? Oh, just always going through it, always going through it. I was talking to a friend from California, and they're calling me just, you know, talking about different things in their job and just on and on and on, and I'm just going through it. And I say, you know, bro, this is the sixth time you told me you're going through it. I think you're just in it right now. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, none of your language is even suggesting that you want to get out of it. 
And so when we get to John 16 and Jesus says, yeah, you're going to go through stuff, guys, but get through it quick and remind yourself you have me. Because I, put that quote up, Jesus never promised that there wouldn't be difficulties. That is clear in the Bible. But he did promise he would be with us. When he was walking across the water and the disciples are in the boat and they're crying, we're going to die. We're going to drown. There's a story, sorry for some of y'all. Jesus tells his disciples, get into the boat and I'm going to meet you on the other side of the land. And while they're in the middle of the boat, he comes walking to them on top of the water can't make this up, y'all. When I get to heaven, I want to watch this on DVR. I want to see him walk. I believe there's a DVR in heaven. I want to see him walk across the water because every time I try to go up to a pool and do it, it doesn't happen, okay? So Jesus tells him, go across the other side. I'll get there. And he starts coming across the other side. And, and as they're freaking out, he says, guys, it's me. Take heart. And it says, once he came into their boat, the storm stopped completely. It's a picture of our lives. When we are in a storm and we see Jesus afar, the question is not how well do you believe in him? The question is, are you going to let him close enough to your problem? Are, are you going to let him hear how you actually feel? Or are you going to do like you do with all your friends and say, I'm fine, everything's fine, while on the inside you're just wasting away? Oh, I feel it. I'm on someone's toes today. This is the beauty of our Savior. He's not expecting us to be perfect, guys. He's not expecting us to have it all put together. He's just saying, are you willing to let me into your mess? Can I come and see what your house actually looks like? You ever have someone come over for dinner and the house isn't clean? And what do you do? You just start taking stuff. This is what I do in my house. I go, oh, the hillockers are coming over and I kind of just take some stuff and I just throw it in the closet and just, bah! <laughs> When Jesus comes over, he knows what's in the closet. He, 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 you don't have to fake it with him. He, he knows that you're shoveling your whole life together to try to present it as something good so other people don't judge you. No, he, he, he welcomes honesty. And I think in a bad situation, we've got to remind ourselves he's with us. That's why I never try to call something bad too soon. Because if you look at 10 years of your life and you say 2021 was just the worst year, but once you get to 2022, you're like, well, 2021 was actually a pretty good year. It got me here. And then you look back at 2020 and everyone was like, it's the end of the world. And we're like, well, compared to 2020, 2022 is pretty awesome so far. You know what I mean? Like, so don't be so quick to call a season bad when you haven't seen it lined up to other seasons. As I mentioned earlier, getting cancer obviously was the most difficult physical season of my life. I was 21, didn't believe in Jesus, was atheist. I was like, ah, there's nothing and then once they told me I was going to die, I was like, well, maybe there's something. You know, maybe I better check on this one real quick. And, uh, and, 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 and I would tell you that was the craziest season of my life. Ten years later, the best season of my life. Isn't that funny how that works? So don't call something bad too soon. Because it might be the best thing to get you into position to where God needs you to be. So in Romans, I want to get to our text now. Romans is probably, as I mentioned earlier, one of the most important books when it comes to salvation, understanding the doctrines of our faith and all that kind of stuff. Because Paul in his whole work of Romans talks about two things. He talks about saving faith, like how to get saved, how to go to heaven, how to be a Christian. But then he also talks about practical faith and how to put your faith into work. Okay, Because some people think just getting saved is everything. They just think, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, everything's good. And it's like, yes, God saved you from hell, but he also saved you for a reason. And he saved you for a purpose. And in Romans, Paul gives this perspective to a group of people and says, here's how you live out your faith. Romans was probably written 
you know, 20 years after, man, probably like 20 to 40 years after Jesus was crucified. And in Rome, Jewish people were starting to get persecuted. Christians were getting persecuted that taught the Messiah, and Jewish people were getting kicked out of Rome. It was very tense. What was happening was there was a dispute between Jewish people and what the Bible calls Gentiles. Gentiles is anybody that's not Jewish. That's the best way to describe them. Anybody that's not Jewish. And so Paul hears in Rome, Jewish people and Gentiles, they can't do church together. Let's just say it like it is. The Jewish people are like, why are you eating pork? And the Gentiles are like, we didn't know pork was bad. I'm going to eat my pork. Don't tell me what to do. And the Jewish people are like, you know, when you come to church, you need to look holy. And the Gentiles are like, I thought we could just come as we are. And so there's this dispute. Sounds familiar, huh? 2,000 years ago, that was the problem. It's still a problem today. These two groups of people didn't know how to go to church together. So when Paul writes, he's writing into that problem. Okay, you with me? It's important to know why the Bible was written. Because some people are like, Romans 8 is one of the best chapters ever. That is just part of his introduction to deal with the division. He's writing as a pastor saying, I got to get these people to get along. So let me write this letter, and in, in, in 16 chapters, he addresses all the issues. Okay, so let me give you a quick overview, and then I'll give you some points. Um, Romans chapter 1, to, this is just Bible study for anybody that wants it. Romans chapter 1 to chapter 8 is all written directly to the Jews. Okay, Paul is addressing the Jewish people, and he says, guys, let's talk about what it even means to be saved. And in the beginning, he says, you guys know Abraham, right? You put your faith in Judaism. He goes, now faith is available through Jesus, and he kind of checks the Jewish people. And so this is the Jewish people reading his letter with the Gentiles looking over their shoulder. And then chapters 9 through about, I think, 12, uh, 9 through 11 is now written to the Gentiles. And now he starts telling them, hey guys, like Judaism is still important. Like, yes, you know, the Jewish people are a little intense, but like we need to respect them. We need to honor their traditions. Like, they're the ones that got us this far. Like, honor them. And then uh, chapters 12 through 16 is pretty much written to anybody. He just says, okay, now let's talk about how to get unified. So Romans is an extensive book. It's an important book. I would encourage you to spend some time reading anything in Romans uh, because everything that he lays out is so essential to how to have a healthy church how to have a healthy life, how to interact with people you don't like. Amen. So we all need that. How to go to church with somebody that you don't like. You know, you don't have to like everyone in church. Can I just say that real quick? You don't have to like everybody that comes to church, but you do got to love them. And so, you know what I'm saying? Paul is telling the Jewish people, he's like, listen, guys, if you don't like the Gentiles, just sit on other sides or something. You know what I mean? Like, let's just try to get in the same room and worship together. So it's from that context that he gives us Romans 8 and says, all things work together for good. So what he's saying is, the Jewish people and the Gentiles, guys, together we can work this for good. And in bad situations, when there's division in our lives, God still wants to work something for good. And so I want to give you three things about a bad situation from Romans. Some good news for the middle of your bad situation. If you're in a bad situation right now, I'd encourage you to stick around after We'll have some people up front if you need prayer. You know, I don't want to just give you a good word and say, go home. Like, if you need prayer, we want to agree with you. Because bad situations are worse when you go through them alone. But when you can find someone else to be real with, when you can find someone else to share how you're actually feeling, it helps you get through them better. So here's good news for bad situations. Number one, when you're in a bad situation, I've got good news. The Holy Spirit wants to be involved. As I alluded to at the beginning of worship, God is not out there. God is here. 
And when we're in a bad situation, the Spirit of God wants to be involved in what you're going through. As Paul is writing, look at verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit of God Himself wants to help. Okay, he just wants to help you out. When you're in a bad situation, he just wants to help. Help what? I'm going to show you in a second. He wants to help your emotions. He wants to help your, your foundation of who you are. He wants to help your decision making. He wants to help, you know, making sure you don't pop off on somebody when you're in a bad situation. You don't know what I'm going through. He wants to help with that. And so in verse 26, Paul says, when we don't know what we should pray, the Spirit himself helps us. You ever, like, like as a Christian, we know we should pray. Prayer is like, to be human. We know we're supposed to do it, but if we're honest, a lot of us, I think we don't know how or we don't know what's the right way or the wrong way. And so when I pray, sometimes I'm a little too deep and I'm like, oh, Father. <laughs> like making up words, I'm like, your magnanimous power. <laughs> and I just don't think he's into that. He wants you to be yourself. He wants you to talk to him like you would talk to a friend. But there are moments when you're going through something, you don't even know what to pray. Like, I don't even know how to pray about this. It's in that moment that Paul says that's what the Spirit's for. And so there's a lot of confusion about tongues in the church. Why well, are you one of those churches that speak in tongues? Uh, if you ever hear someone speak in tongues from our platform, there better be someone to come and interpret it because I, I just don't believe that someone should go la 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 and, you know, and then that's it. But I'll tell you this, I pray in tongues every day. Speaking in tongues is different than praying in tongues. Praying in tongues is just between me and God and when I'm sobbing and I don't know what to tell them, it just comes out of me. I've been in prayer where I'm crying about the loss of a loved one and I'm just moaning to God. Oh, and it's like the Spirit takes that and articulates it to God. The Spirit says, oh, hey, Father, this is what that means. So in a bad time, the Holy Spirit just wants to know, can I be involved? Will you let me come close enough to your problem so that I can help in the midst of it? Jesus, again, in John 16 says this. He's talking to his disciples and he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. So remember three and a half years he was with them and they're like, don't leave us, Jesus, we love you. And he's like, it's to your advantage that I go because if I don't go away, the helper, capital H, will come to you. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. He, he literally calls the Spirit of God the helper. He says, the helper will come to you and, I, and I'll go and I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Ooh, some trigger words there, I can already tell. Sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because people don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because if I go to the Father, you're not going to see me anymore. You'll need the righteousness of God to see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit comes into our lives in bad situations, John 16 tells us, to convict us. And convict sometimes can feel like, oh man, conviction. I think you might be thinking of condemnation. There's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is I'm following Jesus, I want to be more like him, and all of a sudden I feel like, oh man, I shouldn't do that anymore. That hit me. Like a personal conviction for me is alcohol. Like I don't drink alcohol. It's a personal conviction. If you do, it's fine. The Bible's got some stuff on it, but it's a conviction that the Holy Spirit has put on me. I, just, I can't do that. It's just connected to my family. It's just my choice. There's personal convictions you may have where you're like, you know what, I dress modestly when I come to church. I really consider it because that's a conviction of mine. Or this is something I do because it's a conviction of mine. Convict simply means to expose, to refute, or to convince. 
When God convicts us of something, he's exposing something in us to go, you got to cover that up. How are you going to make a difference in your life? And so we ought to be thankful for conviction because it teaches us to draw closer to God. We have been taught uh, uh, to be guilty and to be condemned when we come to church. We have been taught that if you don't feel bad when you come to church, you're not a real Christian. You should come in and just say, I'm a wretched sinner. I need Jesus. And, and it's like, yes, like foundationally, I get it. But at the same time, like I've been set free from the penalty of sin. When I said yes to Jesus, the penalty of sin is no longer over my life. Now, will I sin? Absolutely. I'm still in this world. As a pastor, am I going to let some people down? Absolutely, man. I'm human. But the reality is I can't wallow in my mistakes when God has already forgiven me. Are you with me? Is this making sense? I just know a lot of Christians just beating themselves up all day long. And I'm like, don't you know God? (laughs) Because if I know him, he's forgiven me. That means I can confidently move forward in my new nature. Conviction is a reminder of your new nature. Conviction is a reminder that that's who you were. This is who you are. And so for us, as I mentioned, alcohol is a conviction for me. Sabbath is a conviction for me. One day a week, my phone is off. My wife and I are resting. Uh, We are on week 14 of this. We had our 14th Sabbath in a row. Every seven days, just turn everything off. And I know some of you are like, well, how do I do that? I know, that's the cost of it. You got to cancel something else out to get the Sabbath. But it's a conviction for me. Um, Next week, we're going to start Tuesday morning prayer at our offices every Tuesday at 7 a.m., It's going to be there with some music on, praying every week. Anyone's welcome to join us. Why? It's a conviction. Matthew 18 is a principle Jesus teaches. He says, hey, if if you're going to worship and you've got a dispute with your brother, he says, go talk to your brother before you come into the house of God. And he says, and if your brother won't, won't listen, go to the person that's over him. And if that guy won't listen, go to the main guy in the church and talk to him. So that's a principle Jesus says on how to deal with conflict. That's a conviction for Randy and I. We follow that. Like, we don't, we, don't, we don't go to sleep mad at each other. Hello? Like, we'll stay up and talk it out because it's a conviction that I'm not going to close my eyes and let the sun go down on my wrath and just sit here and be upset when I go. It's a conviction. And so I'm praying this week the Lord will show you some conviction, show you some things that maybe he's speaking to you about as you go through different situations. So the Holy Spirit wants to be involved. Number two, when I'm in a bad situation, the good news is God still has a good outcome. He might not have something that you can see in the moment, but I promise you his outcome is good. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I I love this because Paul doesn't say, to those who love God, all things are good. That's not what he says. He says, to those who love God, all things work together for the good. So there is a misconception that when you become a Christian, everything's going to be great. And that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if you're a Christian, your bad times will work together with God's goodness and it'll still turn out for the good. Your job is not to try to make it good. Your job is just to bring the bad as an offering to God and say, God, here's everything I have. Worked together with you, it'll become good. Does does that make sense? Is everybody with me? Well, my situation's still not good yet. Have you brought everything to God? Have you brought everything, every little detail? Because you don't have to tell everybody everything, but you ought to have one person you can tell everything to. And when we bring it to God, he works it together for good. And that's why I think good news changes our perspective, guys. 
That when we can truly rest, that, that my faith is not based on what I do for God, my faith is what God has done for me, I can hold on to that in a bad situation. The gospel, it means good news. Good news from what? It means good news that even though you're not good enough, Jesus' perfection makes you good enough. And that's worthy of some response. That's why you see people up on stage leading us in worship, because all they're doing is responding to the fact that Jesus has done something. Well, they're up there because they're a good singer. Well, yeah, maybe. I mean, you got to audition. But don't be mistaken, no one is able to worship without understanding what Jesus has done. That's the, only, that's the only way worship comes out, when we fully grasp the price he, prayed, the price he paid. Some of us come to church for the benefits, um, and there's great benefits, but trust me when I say this, you will not get a benefit from church until you first appreciate the cost, until you first recognize, like, I'm not, I shouldn't be here. That's why, like, I can't keep my hands down when I'm in worship, because I'm just like, I'm alive. I shouldn't have made it. I'm here. I got too much to be thankful for. Things aren't going like I thought they were, but I'm alive. Like, so not all things are good, but God works it for good, and he still has a good outcome. So if that's the case, what should I do then? If, while God's working it for my good, Billy, what do I do? I have one scripture that actually shows you what the will of God is for you. You ever thought about that? What's God's will for me? The will of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. Kind of anticlimactic, huh? Not what you're thinking. Wait a second, wait a second, Paul. So you're telling me the will of God is that I would rejoice always, that I would pray without stopping, basically, and uh, that I would give thanks in all situations. Yeah. That's the will of God. That's how you know that God still has a good outcome because he leads you to still rejoice. This is nothing worth rejoicing over, God. Yeah, but I know your outcome, and if you knew what I knew, you would want to rejoice right now. If you knew that that guy that dumped you was actually to protect you from getting involved in an abusive relationship, you would want to rejoice right now. If you knew that that, if you knew that, like, that job that laid you off was actually going to get uh, in trouble a year from now for some legal issues and God was protecting you by getting you out, you would want to rejoice. And so Paul says, rejoice always. And then he says, pray without ceasing. This bothered me for a while, let me be honest, because what he is alluding to is that we should pray and never stop praying. So your prayers don't start with dear Jesus and end with amen. Paul is saying throughout your day, your life should be a constant prayer to God. The rhythms of your job, the rhythms of your family should be an opportunity to keep praying. Prayer for me, it keeps the flame going, if you know what I mean. Keeps the passion going. Keeps the love for God going. Like when people talk about me or gossip about me or say stuff about me, it doesn't get to me because I've got my prayer time with the Lord where all that just falls right off. And some people get so bent out of shape like, well, is this going on? Is this going on? Is this going on? It's like, man, if you only had a place to unload all that, you wouldn't even care. I want you to think about fire. The nature of fire, the nature of a flame is to go out. Once a flame is lit, its nature is eventually it will go out. The same is true with our spiritual life. Paul told Timothy, keep fanning the flame because if you just go to church once and you think that's enough, eventually it dwindles. But when we're in bad situations, God uses those things to lift us up and keep us going. So I ought to rejoice pray without ceasing. And then here's the last one, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the worst. 
this is so hard, isn't it? Like every circumstance, God wants you to be thankful. Just if you practically tried that this week, just what if this week you tried that? You go to Walmart, coffee creamer, they don't have the coconut one you want, it's gone. I just give thanks, God. <laughs> go to work, one of your coworkers shows up late, bad mouthing you, you don't know how to say it. I just give you thanks, God. Well, how does that work? What God is telling us is if you are grateful in the moments where everyone else is upset, your emotional health, your spiritual health, you'll succeed. You'll stay above the issue because your gratitude comes from a different place. Man, God doesn't have to do anything else for me, and I'm pleased. God doesn't have, if he comes tomorrow, if he comes tonight, there's not one thing that I feel like I look at my life and say, well, I'm still waiting on him to do that. We were singing that song earlier, uh, Never Going Back, and the lyric is, there's nothing that I have need of because there's nothing you haven't done. Now, <laughs> if you're honest, you're singing that, and you're like, well, there's some things I have need of. I mean, I got some needs. But something happens when we give thanks by faith and just say, you know what? There's nothing I need. God has given me everything I have. I'm good. That's why it's not hard for me to give back to him because it all belongs to him anyways. It's not hard for me to give an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday because it all belongs to him anyways. All 24 hours belong to him. It's not hard for me to give a, an offering or to give somebody to fill up someone's gas tank at the gas station or to go bless somebody in the community that's in need. It's not hard for me to say, hey, I'll help you out with your rent this month because God's done so much for me that I just want to give back. So God has a good outcome for us. So the Holy Spirit wants to be involved. God, his plan for you is he has a good outcome still. And lastly, number three, as I close, Jesus will finish what he started. Can I encourage some people in the room today, if you're in a situation, Jesus will finish what he started. He is not going to put his hands on your life to leave you by yourself. He's not going to have that one person invite you to this church just so that you can come once and then that's it. If he starts it, he will finish it. Okay, look what the Bible says. It continues in verse 29. Paul says, everything works together for the good, those who love him. And then he says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So in other words, God saw down the corridors of time and saw your life and saw that you had need of a savior. And he knew the entire time that you were gonna need God to lift you up. Verse 30 says, and those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he glorified. A lot of theological terms just to tell you that God has the map laid out for your life. That if you came today wondering what's next or what's going to happen or what's the deal, there is somebody up there, here, wherever you classify God, he wants to let you know, I've got this thing figured out. And if you trust me and take that step one step at a time, I will finish what I started. Because I've been in seasons, y'all, where I can't, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I can keep going. I've been in seasons where I feel like emotionally I'm drained to the max. And one of the scriptures that kept me going was not all God works everything for the good, but it was actually this scripture in Philippians chapter 1, where the apostle writes and says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. What are the implications of that? That means if Jesus started something in your life, he's going to be faithful to finish it. That yes, God saved you, but he also wants to preserve you. Yes, God saved you, but he also wants to, to hold you and uplift you throughout the ups and downs of life.
This is about six years ago. I was uh, at my house. Randy and I, we were just, just newly married, about a year in, and living. We were youth pastors, living in Palm Springs, and just doing all thing. And we were getting ready to go to youth service, Friday night youth service. And uh, I get a phone call. And my dad, he's, he's in the hospital. And they, they say he's, gonna, he's had a heart attack. And so, you know, we you know, jump in the car and, and go over there. And, and I remember just sitting there in the waiting room and just kind of like just being numb, just like scared, didn't know what was going to happen. And my wife comes around me and, and she puts her arm around me and she just said, he will be faithful to complete what he started. And we put on some worship music, we prayed. And can I tell you, my dad today is doing better than ever. Um, six years ago, one moment though, got me to a point where I had to remind myself, is God just going to leave me at my dad out here like this? Or am I going to put my hope in the fact that Jesus will finish what he started? When we're in a bad situation, we don't need to hype ourselves up like with more spiritual stuff, like, oh, let's do it. We need to be reminded of what's true. Jesus, is he still who he is? If so, that changes how you can get through the situation. Because there's people that might want to say, you should do better, you should do more, and Jesus says three words when he's on the cross, three words that he ends his life with. He goes, it is finished. So that means even in 2022, people, when they try to hype themselves up to complete something, we can still rest in the fact that it is finished. You know what Buddha said? Strive unceasingly. That was his last words. Strive. Never stop striving. Ascend. Contemplate. Go deeper. Jesus says, guys, it's finished. I did it for you. You don't have to strive. Even if you're in a bad situation now, can I encourage you today? You don't have to strive to get out of this situation. Maybe, maybe God wants to teach you something in it before he gets you out of it. Who am I talking to? Who am I talking to? Jesus is not a helicopter, y'all. I've said this before, but a lot of us think Jesus is like a helicopter. God, I'm in a bad situation, and we think that the helicopter is just going to come up, and it's just going to come down and say, shoom, let's get you out of here. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? It says he's an anchor, an anchor to our soul. You know what an anchor does? It keeps you in the same spot. So you might be in it right now. You might be going through it right now, but I want to assure you, you have an anchor to hold on to. And his name is Jesus. And he will be faithful to complete what he started. And no matter what anyone in this life has to say, I serve a God that promises us completion. I serve a God that says, yes, there will be ups and downs, but one day you will rest at my finish line. One day you will stand and see the salvation of your God. You'll just say, wow, you really are good, Jesus. And so I want to pray for you today as we conclude. Oh that God would reveal himself in this moment, that you would see if you need an anchor, he's here today and his name's Jesus. Would you close your eyes just for a moment of privacy, just no one looking around. If, if that's you and you say, Billy, I, I would like to receive Jesus as my anchor today. Uh, I wanna pray for two groups of people. I'm gonna pray for people that need Jesus and then I'll pray for anyone in a bad time. Now, if you've already accepted Jesus and you know him and you've, you've prayed this prayer, you believe this, this, this first group is not for you. I'm speaking to anybody that knows they need to get right right now. You need to get right with God. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, not here to beat you up, but to build you up. And you need Jesus. If that's you, would you slip a hand up in the air? Just real quick, just that's me. Anybody in the room today? Come on, can we pray this together? Would you say, dear God? Church, let's say it together. Say, dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. I believe he died for me. 
I believe he rose for me. So today I'm going to live for him. In Jesus' name. Second group of people, you know God. You know Jesus. You love church. You're, you're in it. You love everything about it. But you would be honest and say, I'm in a bad situation right now. I'm just in a tough time. I, I don't need details, but you would say, I, I, need, I need some good news. If that's you, would you lift your hand so boldly and say, I'm in a bad situation right now. Just would you lift me up, Billy? Come on. I sense like one other person. I'm, I'm going to give you a second to join us. There we go. Okay. I want to pray over you that God would be faithful to guide you through this season. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. Lord, we pray that you would wrap your arms around each individual that lifted their hands, that in a bad situation you would continue to be good. And, Lord, I even speak that you would draw people into the situation to help. Um, there's needs that need to be met in these situations. And so prophetically, we say that those needs shall be met. That you're going to bring people into their course. You're going to bring people in front of their eyes just so that they can get through this time and look at you and say how good God is. So we love you. We dedicate the good to you and the bad to you in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, would you say amen? amen. Come on, church. Can we put our hands together if you believe that today? Um, we're going to show a quick video just with some next steps. If you did take a, a step today to follow Jesus, we would like to do a few things for you. And then uh, we're also going to train some small group leaders. If you are interested in leading a small group, um, if you feel like you want to open up your house or your schedule once or twice a month uh, for some new people to join, we'll be doing that next door. But check this video out, and then I'll be back in just a second. Hey, Gospel fam, if you made a decision to follow Jesus or if you're looking to get connected here at Gospel, fill out a card, text FRESH to 94000 or visit the Next Steps area on your way out. Tuesday morning prayer kicks off this week. Join us from 7 to 8 a.m. for a time of prayer and devotional with our pastors as we build faith praying over Chautauqua County. Prayer is held at our church offices at 50 West Main Street in Fredonia. Small group leader training is today at 11.30. If you're interested in hosting a small group, meet us in the overflow room after church. Thanks for joining us at Gospel. You are loved and we are thankful to have you here. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a time of generosity. Hey, Awesome. Hey, uh, as we close, uh, I want to encourage you in our time of generosity. Uh, as a church, we believe that every week we get together, it's an opportunity to worship God uh, with more than just our mouth and more than just our time. Now, I want to say a few things. Every week, we're going to include a scripture when we talk about generosity because when it comes to giving, there's all kinds of confusion in the church. It's like tongues. People just assume something until they're weirded out by it and they just don't even try it. Uh, when it comes to giving, I want you to know this. Giving a certain amount to God has nothing to do with your salvation, your importance, your value, and who he is. Um, I was meeting with a guy this week, he was raised Catholic, and just kind of always had that thing shoved in his face, you know what I'm talking about, just, hey, what are you giving today, just, what are you giving today, and, and I told him, I said, you should never feel intimidated about this time of generosity, because for us who follow Jesus, it's not the amount we give, it's the posture of our hearts as we give. Prove it, Billy, I'll prove it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul again, my dude, he says, uh, he says in verse 9, chapter 9, verse 7, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
I'm going to read it again for people uh, in the back. Verse 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You can play with me, man. I want to say one thing about this. God will never override our free will. God will never override our free will. What Paul is saying is when it comes time to give, he's writing to Corinth church and he's saying, hey guys, I, we, we need to bless these people. There's needs here. And if, if you guys give from Corinth, I'll be able to build this church down here. We'll be able to start getting people saved. We'll have this gathering. We could do this stuff. And he writes and he says, but let me tell you about your giving. Go back, please. Uh, verse seven, if you got it. He says, <laughs> thanks, love you guys. Yeah, don't worry about it if you don't got it. The truth of what Paul is saying in chapter 9, verse 7, is how you give is more important than what you give. Teach, Billy. I, I used to go to church, and the giving thing would always throw me off when I first got saved. And I was like, I just don't got it. But when my pastor started teaching me, he was like, hey, you got to make sure you, you check your heart on this. Because there was a little widow that went down to give, and Jesus watched her give like two pennies. And then this Pharisee came up and gave like a, a year's worth of wages. And the Pharisee was like, yes, I'm able to give this much because I finally reached this time. I can now give this much. And Jesus says, no, it's about the widows that gave because her heart was right. right. And so this moment for us, it shouldn't make, you know, your arm feel weird or somebody like make you uncomfortable. This moment, it's just about your heart. For us as a church, we have people that give so that we can continue the work of the ministry. We have people that give so that we can continue to see lives change and souls saved. And so every time we gather, we're going to take a time to respond in generosity. My wife and I, just to give clarity and some context on this, we, we usually give once a month because we get paid once a month. And so I just want to clarify, like, we don't give every week here at Gospel. We give when our income comes, and we just take care of it. And so by no means is this going to be like a you-can-only-come-in-if-you-give kind of church. Like, you know, I just want to make sure we're honoring God beyond just singing and preaching and dancing and stuff. We honor Him by worshiping Him through our giving. And so I want to pray for your giving today as we close our service, and then I'll bless you guys, and uh, we'll dismiss. I encourage you to stick around after and talk with somebody. You know, church is easy to come in and slip out. I want to at least talk to somebody and just say it was great being here today. But uh, let's pray, and as you uh, leave today, you can drop anything, cards or uh, envelopes in the bucket on the way out. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you through generosity today. Lord, thank you for those that are giving. Thank you for those that aren't giving. Thank you for those that aren't ready to give yet. Lord, you look at our hearts. You don't look at what, you look at how. And so today we say we want to be pure in our hearts as we give towards you. I bless the people of gospel in the building today. I bless their minds that they would be above and not beneath. I bless their hearts that they would stay pure and clean no matter what the world throws at them. I bless their hands this week that whatever they put their hands to would prosper. They'd have success in all their dealings. And we just pray peace over everyone in the room today. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you guys. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you for small group training or we'll see you this week for prayer and all that good stuff. <laughs>